your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, the Bible in the pew in front of you is yours to use. We're going to be on page 832 in that Bible. We're beginning a new uh, series this week, a short series, three weeks through the book of Habakkuk. Um, It's kind of funny. If you haven't guessed yet, the tone of this morning is pretty sober. We've been singing some pretty sober things. The message of Habakkuk is, is pretty heavy. And I'm struggling a little bit because it's Super Bowl Sunday and it feels like it's a holiday for some reason. And it's not. (laughs) It's not. (laughs) So now that that's out of the way. um... So uh, a lot of stuff is going on in the world. Uh, A quick Google News search this week, it it came up with um, just this ridiculously partisan impeachment trial in our government. And, and whatever side you land on, I, I, I was talking with some of the guys this morning, I think we can agree, like, our government is broken. And it's, like, heartbreaking to see it play out. The coronavirus from China has been labeled a global health concern. Uh, news came out this week that our country is lifting a ban on the use of landmines in war. We had decided that landmines were a gruesome form of torturous warfare and we were going to quit using them, but we've changed our minds for some reason. Australia is still on fire. 14.7 million acres have burned, 480 million animals have died, as well as 24 people have lost their lives in that fire. It seems like there's always a war going on in the Middle East. I read that in Southern Africa, young girls are selling themselves for as little as 40 cents in order to buy bread for their families. 45 million people are hungry in that part of the world. And those are all big global problems. And and maybe those, you're, you're being affected by those things. Maybe you have local problems that you're being affected by. We have members in our body that are having troubles in their marriages, that are having financial challenges, that are having health issues. It just seems like there's always something going on that is out of order, is out of alignment with the way we think the world should work. And there's really two ways that we can respond to this, and there there are two questions and the, the question we ask says a lot about our posture towards God. And one of those questions, and maybe you hear it a lot, is how could God allow fill in the blank to happen? And when you ask that question, you are positioning yourself away from God, apart from God. You are accusing God. You are over here and God is over there and you're saying, God, how could you do this? How could God allow this to happen? But the other way to ask that question is, God, how could, how could you allow this to happen? Why is this happening, God? Because, see, that brings you closer to God. It brings you in relationship with God. It, it, it puts you at God's feet, still asking for answers, still asking why, but it speaks of relationship. And we're going to take a look at this first chapter in the book of Habakkuk when Habakkuk asks these kinds of questions. And, and what I want us to walk away from this morning 
is the idea that when brokenness is in the world, when we see brokenness and sin in the world, it should move us closer to God. And the way that I want to point that out is by recognizing three things in this passage. And those three things are we, we need to recognize injustice. We need to recognize God's sovereignty. And we need to recognize our limits. So first of all, let's look at verse 1 of Habakkuk chapter 1. The pronouncement that Hab- the prophet Habakkuk saw. So Habakkuk, we don't know a lot about him. His name means hug. That's kind of nice. <laughs> it's kind of out of kilter with the tone of his book. Um, he's a prophet. He's a musician. In chapter 3, he's going to write a song. We don't really know much more about him. We think he's writing at about 605 B.C., In 605 BC, uh, the people of Judah, he's a member of the people of Judah, are are losing power in the world. Um, And two major armies are fighting around them. The Babylonians and the Egyptians are, are fighting a major battle right outside their walls. The Babylonians win that battle and they conquer Egypt. And it seems like there's no stopping them. The word pronouncement in verse 1 could also be translated burden. And the whole book of Habakkuk is a dialogue that Habakkuk has with God about current events in his life. And as we read this book, it's not, a, it's not an easy book. It's not a fun book. There's not, like, easy answers in this book. I don't, I don't expect anyone to leave church this morning going, all right, that was great. Because that's just not what Habakkuk gives us. We're not going to be satisfied. Habakkuk isn't satisfied. And even though Habakkuk doesn't provide answers to some of these questions that we have, it does provide entry points to help us grow into a deeper relationship with God. And the first way I think we need to do this is we need to recognize injustice. So in, chapter, in, in verse 2 through 4, Habakkuk prays to the Lord. He says, how long, Lord, must I call for help and you don't listen or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges for the wicked restrict the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. Habakkuk is talking about his own people, the people of Judah. They have gone astray. They're not following God. And he has three different categories of of sin that's being committed in in pairs. He says injustice and wrongdoing. These These are personal stories of violence. People attacking each other physically, verbally, slander, murder, rape. This is going on in his community. He says oppression and violence. This is community, structural, systems are broken. People are being oppressed because of the way the the, the culture is ordered. And then he says strife and conflict. These are legal terms. People are suing one another. People are uh, operating in shady business deals and manipulating the law for their own benefit. And Habakkuk says, why is this going on, God? 
And I think what we learn here is that as God's people, we must be aware of and grieve the lostness of our society. As Christ's people, that's part of our calling. Jesus, at one point in his ministry on earth, looks over the city of Jerusalem and he weeps over it and says, I long to gather you together like a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. And he grieves over his people that are rejecting him and ultimately going to be destroyed by the Romans. And if we are people that are following in Jesus' footsteps, we need to be people that grieve over the pain and the suffering in our society. We can't hide our eyes from it or say it doesn't have anything to do with us. And I think I, I struggle with this because I am afraid often to name injustice when it doesn't align with the way I think the world is supposed to work. Let me give you an example. If, if you're someone here this morning that, that would say, we need to have strong borders. That's a, that's a political value that you have. And, and then a story comes out that, that says that immigrants and refugees are being mistreated or abused because of our border policy. Maybe you have the tendency to go, you know, that's fake news. Or that doesn't matter. That's not really happening. Because that doesn't fit with what I want the world to look like. Or maybe you feel like that the government has a role to redistribute wealth from those that have a lot to those that have a little so that those that have little have a little bit more. And then you read studies that a lot of the well-meaning social programs that we institute actually hurt the poor. Well, that doesn't fit with the narrative that I like, so I'm just going to ignore that. But as Christians, no matter what we believe about how society should work, we need to be able to see injustice and call out injustice no matter where it is. We need to be able to see it and name it. But not just that, we need to bring it before the Lord. Habakkuk doesn't just complain about violence, he takes it to God. And this is another thing, I'm bothered by how much I just don't talk to God about. You know, we, if we grow up in church, if we have these uh, experiences in, in Christian life, we, we learn how to pray. We learn what to pray about. Our, our, our pastors, our teachers in Sunday school, and, and our, maybe our parents, they, they model for us what prayer should look like. And, and we kind of get into a groove every night at my house. And this is my fault. My youngest daughter says, God, thank you for this food. Amen. And we eat. That's the prayer. And she does it like clockwork. And I I tried, you know, maybe what else do you want to pray to God for? I just want to eat. (laughs) Because she's learned this is what we do at dinner. We pray for the food and then we're done. And and there's so many things when I I look at my prayer life, I go, you know, I, I very easily pray about these things. These things come to my mind. But there's a whole lot of other things that I just don't think to talk to God about. And Habakkuk brings these things to God. And he says, how long is this going to happen? Why is this happening? Habakkuk has the courage to ask these kinds of things to God. And maybe for some of us this morning, that makes you a little uncomfortable. Maybe you are taught or you've assumed that that, that that's disrespectful. You don't question God. But Habakkuk does. 
King David in the Psalms does. And not because he lacks faith, not because he's being improper, but because he's being honest, because he's bearing his heart to the Lord and saying, God, I don't understand what's going on here. So if I think if we're going to let the brokenness of the world draw us closer to God, we have to recognize injustice wherever we see it. The second thing we have to do is we have to recognize God's sovereignty. In verse 5, God answers Habakkuk. The, the text doesn't specifically say that, but you can tell from the words that, that, that God is speaking. He says, look at the nations and observe, be utterly astounded. I'm going to do something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. Look, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories not its own. They are fierce and terrifying. Their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than wolves of the night. Their horsemen charge ahead. Their horsemen come from distant lands. They fly like eagles swooping to devour and all of them come to do violence. Their faces are set in determination. They gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and rulers or a joke to them. They laugh at every fortress and build siege ramps to capture it. Then they sweep by like the wind and pass through. They are guilty. Their strength is their God. So God answers Habakkuk's cry. And he says, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. Another, another name for the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar. And if we look at history, the Babylonian Empire rose from relative obscurity to be the greatest empire in the world in a period of about 20 years. They went from nothing to a world-conquering power. And they, they were fast, they were vicious, and they were brutal. They were selfish and arrogant. And God says, Habakkuk, I see the injustice of your people. I see the crime. I see the law breaking. And I have a plan. I'm going to send the Babylonians to conquer your people, to discipline them for their wickedness. God is he's paying attention to the world. He sees. He's, Habakkuk is not surprising God with this prayer. God's not like, what? I had no idea this was happening. God knows exactly what's going on in the world. And he has a plan. And, and so we, I want to talk a little bit about sovereignty this morning. The sovereignty of God is, is, is a Christian doctrine that talks about the control that God has over the world. And there's basically two kinds of sovereignty that I want to look at. There are others, but the two major ones, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the first one is called sovereignty over everything. And if you lean more reformed or Calvinist in, in, your, in your view of doctrine, maybe this is something that you um, hold to or, or value. And, and in my mind, God being sovereign over everything is like God being a chess player, playing both sides of the board. And from the beginning of time, God has decided what all the moves are going to be. He is sovereign over everything that goes on. This afternoon, 
when the 49ers win the Super Bowl, it's because God determined before time began that that was going to happen. Larry. (laughs) Sorry. It's in God's hands. Now, now the problem with this that many people have, the problem that I have with this is it, it's hard to figure out how people have free will if God has decided everything in advance. And, and there's, a, there's a lot of really good reform scholarship that, will, that, that can kind of thread that needle and argue why people have free will still in this view of God's sovereignty. And um, there's a lot of really good Calvinist scholars uh, that, that think deeply about these things. The other view of sovereignty, which I'm going to call sovereign over anything, sovereign over everything versus sovereign over anything, uh, is more of what's called an Arminian view of sovereignty. And it's a lot like a king in a monarchy. If a king in an absolute monarchy wants something done, he gets it done. If he's riding through his kingdom and he sees a farmer in a field and says, hey, you, I want you to join my military, that man is compelled to join the military of the king because the king does whatever he wants. In Psalm 115, uh, the psalmist writes, my God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. And in this view of sovereignty, God is in absolute control of the world in the sense that he will do whatever he wants to do and it will be done because he is in control. And when the 49ers win the Super Bowl, it's because they're a better team and God doesn't really care about the Super Bowl. (laughs) But if he did, he could manipulate the path of the ball. He could whisper in the players' ears so that they hear the calls wrong. But he probably isn't going to do that. But see, either way, if you hold to a view of sovereignty that says that God is in control of absolutely every decision, or if you say that God is in control of anything that he chooses to be in control over, he just said that he is raising up the Babylonians. He is taking responsibility for the Babylonian invasion of Judah. This is his plan This is not an accident. The world is not out of control. And this is is hard. We're going to see that it's hard for Habakkuk in a second, but it's it's hard because it's not really the way that we think things should happen. There's injustice in Judah, but, but to have the Babylonians come... God even says they're they're awful. They mock kings and rulers. They build siege ramps. Their horses charge. They're fierce like wolves. He has all of these things to say about them. And he says, this is the plan. Because by bringing the Babylonians to conquer Judah, to take them into captivity, which we know will happen a few years from this point, he's going to purify them. He's going to make them holy. They're tied up in the worship of false gods. They worship, they sacrifice to Baal so that their crops will grow. 
They sacrificed their children to Molech. They, they participate in orgies for Asherah. They are filled with idol worship and wickedness. And after they return from Babylon, after spending 70 years there, they're never going to worship idols again. And we, we bring this to us, and the hard truth is that God's first interest for my life and your life is not our prosperity. God is calling his people to be holy and pure and just and righteous, and he knows that the thing that's going to accomplish this is being conquered and carried away by the Babylonians. And that's a hard thing to hear, especially in the 21st century. I had a professor in Bible college who, uh, I forget what class he was teaching, but he, he, was the, he was actually the head of the school. And he was telling this story about how he was a pastor in a city and he bought a home with his family. And about a year later, he got this call to come be the head of the Bible college. And he was praying about it and he felt like it was something that he should do. And the real estate market had kind of tanked in that year. And for him to sell his home in this city and move to the city where the Bible college was and buy another house, he stood to lose about $50,000. And he was wrestling with this and praying with it. And he finally heard God speak to him. And God said, I don't care if you lose $50,000. And so he sold his home and he lost $50,000. But the realization for him was that that was just not God's priority for his life. God's got $50,000 if he needs it. God wants him to follow the calling that God has for his life and his personal prosperity or financial gain or health or, or whatever those things that we put such a high value on, that wasn't God's priority in that moment for him. And for the people of Judah... Their personal prosperity is not God's priority. Their holiness is God's priority. So God chooses to send the Babylonians to invade and conquer. So if brokenness is going to bring us closer to God, we need to recognize injustice. We need to recognize God's sovereignty. And we also need to recognize our limits. Look at verse 12. Habakkuk hears God's response and he answers. He says, are you not from eternity, Lord, my God, my Holy One, you will not die. Lord, you appointed them to execute judgment. My rock, you destined them to punish us. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why, do you, why are you silent while one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? You have made mankind like the fish of the sea, like marine creatures that have no ruler. The Chaldeans pull them all up with a hook and catch them in their dragnet, and they gather them in their fishing net. That is why they are glad and rejoice. That is why they sacrifice to their dragnet and burn incense to their fishing net. For by these things their portion is rich and their food plentiful. Will they therefore empty their net and continually slaughter nations without mercy? 
See, Habakkuk complains to God about his people's wickedness, and God responds and says, don't worry about it, Habakkuk, I've got this covered. I'm going to send the Babylonians to punish your people. And Habakkuk goes, hold on, wait, what? That's, that's not what I want. How can that be? And see, in this, I think it's important to recognize that Habakkuk is not doubting God. He's, his faith here is not shaken. He's just incredibly confused. In, in 12 and 13, he says, the Babylonians are way worse than we are. How could you possibly send them to punish us? Think about it this way. If, if, you, if you are crying out to God and grieving about the horrors of abortion in our country, thousands and thousands of lives destroyed because of the legal ability to kill unborn children. And we, we weep for that as Christians because we believe that all people are made in the image of God, including unborn children. And God says, hey, don't worry about it. You know, China, the country that forces women to kill their unborn children as a means of population control, I'm going to send them in to conquer the United States to pay us back for our wickedness. No, God, that's not what I meant. That's not what I wanted. Or what if you are, are crying out to God because you recognize that there are systems of injustice and inequality that are still alive in our country, that certain minority groups are just don't get a fair shake in many circumstances in our nation, and it's an injustice. And God says, hey, don't worry. I'm going to raise up the KKK, and they're going to punish the nation. No, no, that's not what I meant, God. That's not what I want. This is what Habakkuk is confused about. Like, don't send the Babylonians, God. And he says some interesting things here. In, in verse 12, he says, are, are you not from eternity, Lord my God? My Holy One, you will not die. And, and an interesting thing about this is it probably should read, my Holy One, we will not die. It's, it's likely that there was a scribal error in the text somewhere along the history of translation because it just seemed a little too heavy for Habakkuk to go, nuh-uh, God, you're not doing that. That's not going to happen to us. But that's the gut-wrenching reality that Habakkuk is feeling right now. That can't possibly be your plan, God. And he says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. And this is an important place to land on for a second because I've heard this used in a variety of ways that I don't think Habakkuk is communicating here. We get this, this idea that, that God can't look upon sin, that God somehow has like this aversion to sin, Many of you know my wife, Joanna. She, she, has, she suffers with, from some pretty significant allergies. She, she can't eat a lot of different foods. She can't expose herself to a lot of dust and pollen and mold. And, and if, if that happens, she'll start to have an anaphylactic reaction. And, and she has to really protect herself from a lot of things. 
And sometimes I think we think God is like that. Like sin is this thing that infects him and he just can't look at it and ooh, it's yucky and get it away from me. And then we place that on ourselves. We, we, we tell people, God's disgusted by you. God can't look at you. You need to get yourself put together before you come to church because God doesn't stand for sin. But that gives so much power to sin. Sin doesn't control God. Sin doesn't make God run. What Habakkuk is saying is, surely, God, you can't, you won't use evil to do good. Surely you won't allow the Babylonians who are wicked to be a part of your good plan. But that's exactly what God is saying. God is not creating the evil Babylonian empire, but he's using the Babylonians and their wickedness to bring about a greater good, the holiness of his people. In verse 15, Habakkuk says that the, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, they, they treat everyone like fish and they capture them in their nets and then they, they rejoice, they, 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 they worship their nets, the tools of their tyranny. They're full of themselves. They're arrogant and violent and they, they even mock God in the process. They, they don't give God credit for their success. They give themselves credit for their success. And then in verse 17, Habakkuk basically asks the same question again. Will they therefore empty their net and continually slaughter nations without mercy? How long, God, is this going to happen? As we, as we close this morning, I, I think it's important to remember that, that well, God, God doesn't sin, God doesn't cause evil, but God allowing evil and sin to bring about good, this is at the heart of our salvation. See, we're just like the people of Judah. Even in this room, we are, we are sinners. We deserve judgment. We've, our lives are filled with brokenness. Sometimes, sometimes things we don't even realize, sometimes things that we absolutely do realize that are wicked and wrong and selfish. And yet in the midst of that, God sends Jesus, the Son of God, the perfect, he's called the, 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 the true son of Israel, the perfect representation of what God's people are supposed to be like. And then God allows a different wicked empire to do violence against his son. Through the, the, the council of the, the Jewish leadership, the Roman empire is raised up in the first century 600 years after Habakkuk, more violent than the Babylonians, more arrogant than the Babylonians. And they don't do violence against wicked people who deserve it. They do violence against the perfect son of God who does not. 
and they mock him and they crucify him. See, Jesus substitutes himself for us to bring about a great good, salvation of many lives. And the way he does it is by allowing himself to be conquered by an evil and wicked nation. And as, as Jesus' people, we continually have the privilege of watching God take the wickedness in our world and do something good with it. And in the moment, just like Habakkuk in the moment, it's really unsettling. It's not particularly satisfying. We may, we may never fully see God's plan fulfilled in our lifetime. Habakkuk's not going to. There's going to be another 50 or 60 years before the Babylonians finally destroy Judah and then 70 years of them in captivity before they're allowed to come home. And after that experience, they've been purified in ways that they never would have had this not happened to them. But Habakkuk won't be alive to see it. There's a lot of questions that come up in this chapter and through the rest of this book. And God doesn't answer them. God doesn't really address them. He just says, hey, this is what I'm doing and I know best. And so for all of us this morning, whether, whether you are looking out into the world and seeing injustice and wrongdoing and, and pain and going, why God does that exist? Or whether that pain and suffering is happening in the sphere of your own life, we have two choices. We can say, how could God allow this to happen? Or we could say, God, why are you allowing this to happen? We can choose to move farther from God, to push ourselves away from God and accuse God, or we can choose to move closer to God in relationship and walk with God through the unknown. Because the ultimate example of God allowing evil to overcome good and the worst sin that's ever been committed was the sacrifice of his perfect son on the cross for our benefit. And as Christians, if, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've given your life to Christ, your whole life is lived in the light of that event. That Christ gave himself was killed and rose from the dead, defeating the powers of death and sin and giving us new life if we trust in him. And so it shouldn't surprise us that every other wicked thing that goes on in our lives and around the world, God has got a plan for that. God has got a solution for that. Good will come out of that.
And so I, I just encourage you this morning, as we take communion, as we remember the, the body broken and the blood shed of Jesus, as you come down the aisle and pick that up and take it back to your seats and, and just meditate on, on these things, think about the, the, the suffering that you see in your life. Think about the wrong that you see in the world. Do, do we bring it to God? Do, do we allow it to bring us closer to God? Do we take it to him in prayer and allow him, maybe not to give us answers, maybe answers never come, but allow him to give us comfort because he's going to make good come from it? Let's pray. God, thanks for your word. And, and, and God, I acknowledge that Habakkuk is a hard word for us. It is a book that is challenging. And it's going to get more challenging next week and the week after. There's, there's an opportunity for us to, to stare injustice in the face and let you be king over it. Let you be king over our lives. God, God I, I just pray that we would lean into that, that we would, like Habakkuk, even though it's confusing, even though we don't understand, that we would push into you when things are hard, when things don't make sense. And God, I, I pray for your people in this room, throughout the city and around the world that are, that are struggling, God, because this world is broken. God, help us to, to hope for the day when you will finally bring everything right. And for those of us that are just in the midst of just personal pain, God, may your, your spirit just comfort us. Remind us that you, you love us. Your proof of that is that you, you sent your son to die in our place. You used a wicked empire to destroy him, but death couldn't hold him. He rose from the dead and he invites us to be a part of your family just by trusting in him, by giving ourselves over to you. God, I, I confess that in, in the moment, that doesn't make pain any easier. It doesn't make confusion go away. But God, I just pray that your spirit, like, like a warm blanket, would just bring comfort to heavy hearts this morning. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur d'Alene podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.